With the recent ice and snowstorms, and not to mention the incredibly high winds, many roofs have been damaged. And storm damage is not always as obvious as missing shingles or leaks. It could be a little more complex than that. So get a free inspection from the professionals at Unlimited Commercial and Residential Roofing. They proudly serve all of Central Kentucky and are Kentucky natives, veteran-owned, and are licensed and insured with a five-star rating. If there's storm damage, you could get a roof for as little as a thousand bucks. Also, if you mention the podcast, you're going to get a hundred dollar rebate off your new roof. So give my pastor and friend Chris May a call for your free inspection, and give him a follow on Instagram at Roofing Reverend. Give him a call at 859-544-4900 or visit them online at commercialroofingky.net. That's commercialroofingky.net. Oh, that was a bite. Fish on. All right, so I got to tell this one on mic real quick before we get started in the podcast. I had to edit this in. So after the podcast was over, Mike and Kurt and myself were talking. And, uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> well, okay, Mike has a really busy schedule right now. So he's doing a podcast in his car uh, on his cell phone, which I told him was perfectly fine. I told him, you know, to just as long as it was like minimum background noise, well, he had had his car off, and you guys know how hot it is outside. It's like 90 degrees. Well, I didn't think about that. And so he's doing this entire podcast with his vehicle off. And when we get finished, he is like drenched in sweat on the video. Uh, he goes from like dry and calm to by the end of it, he's like panting and uh, <laughs> pouring in sweat. Uh, he starts talking about it when we end the podcast, and he had... Me, him, and Kurt were rolling. But yeah, so this, it, keep in mind, during this entire podcast, Mike's in his car, car not running, super hot outside. And uh, oh gosh, it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Evolving Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Stepp, and I'm super pumped about today's episode. I'm hanging out with a couple guys, uh, have pretty good profiles when it comes to the kayak fishing world. Uh, Mike Baird, he's been on the podcast before. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good today. I'm glad to be back on. It's good to have you, man. Uh, and of course, I have uh, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Kurt Smits. <laughs> Kurt, I uh, appreciate you, man. Uh, like I said, y'all reached out to you. I wanted to have you both on to talk about that Lake Champlain event. Uh, you guys, like I said, both of you travel and you fish the Hobie uh, BOS and and I know it's a lot of travel. We'll get into that, but appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedules to hang out with me and talk some fishing today. So I uh, can't thank you guys enough for uh, for doing that. How you doing, Kurt? You doing all right today, man? Man, I'm, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Besides the rain that's been happening, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> you know, I talked with a gentleman last night. I'm not going to say who because I don't know if he'd want me to or not. But he had actually, uh, I was telling him, I said, man, I said, I'm excited to have Kurt Mike on tomorrow. And he said, oh, I actually met Kurt on the water one time. He said, he probably doesn't even remember me. He said, but he was such a nice guy. He said, so uh, I've been a fan of his for a little bit. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. So I thought I'd let you know that. Uh, I don't want to no, say his man, name. That's awesome, I don't want to say his name, but he said, man, you know, he just seemed like such an awesome guy. He said, 
he talked to me. He said, I know who he was. He didn't know who I was and said, it, man, he was just so down to earth. And some of these guys, uh, very little of these guys that fish, you know, how the kayak realm seems to be a lot more camaraderie, you know, a lot more friendship, oh, things yeah. like that. And very seldom do you run across somebody that isn't very nice. Yeah. And, uh, he said, man, it was just exciting to, to know somebody with like, you know, profile like yours, you know, just down to earth guy. So I want to tell you that I thought it might. Man, I really appreciate that, man, because honestly, just, uh, hearing stuff like that makes me, <laughs> I just can't, I can't lie. Well, I'm, I'm not at that point yet as an angler. I'll probably never be, you know, I, I get happy catching a 10 inch bass. So, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get happy catching 10 inches too, man. Uh, well, especially on those rough days. Uh, I don't know about you, Mike, but you know, on those days where it gets really, really rough and you're just trying to put one fish in the kayak, man, I will take 12 inch fish all day long. If it means getting a full bag. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was one thing in Champlain is I kept catching all these perch. And it kind of kept me interested throughout the week. I just catch some perch, you know, it kind of keep you focused a little bit. You, you got to take those home and eat them. I've never eaten perch, but I hear they're great. They're, you know, I, I ran into so many schools of perch. I, I kind of started enjoying chasing them after a little while, you know, you just catch like 15 of them. It was fun. I'd like to go back up and just perch fish for a day, to be honest. That, that was on my mind on the drive home. Yeah. Well, Kurt, Mike, appreciate you guys. Uh, Mike, I know you're a Kentucky boy. You're around Frankfurt, right? Yep. I'm actually in Frankfurt right now. Okay. Yeah. I know you're in your car. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, uh, well, I know, like I said, you've been busy, dude. You've, yeah, I know you said you had a lot of meetings today, so I'll try to take up too much of your time. But you're a Kentucky boy. And uh, Kurt, I think you're Cincinnati, right? Yep. I sure am. I know you're with uh, Strictly Selling Kayak, that crew. Brian Tacey, he's just a great guy. It's a great shop. That's where I bought my kayak. And I made a trip up earlier this year and got a bunch of gear. You just can't beat those guys. Yeah. <laughs> if you're around Cincinnati area and you need a kayak or need some gear, man, you got to go strictly selling kayak. You Killer customer service, guys. great family owned business. You know, literally there's like three generations of the, of the family there. Oh yeah. Cool. Oh yeah. I've been up there a few times and I've never had a bad experience and I don't know anybody that has, you talk to anybody that's been up there. They love going up there and, and, especially purchasing products for them because they know, like you said, the customer service is going to be outstanding. But yeah. You're a Cincinnati guy. And, um, now you're, did you, I don't know if you got your kayak from them, but you're in a Hobie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started when I first started doing, uh, uh, fishing tournaments, I got uh, hooked up with Brian and got, we got put on his team. Uh, and you know, and I'm still on his team. I'm still through, I still work with strictly sale and Brian, Steve and those guys. Yeah. i I don't run a Hobie. I'm hoping to in the near future. I'm running a new canoe right now. I'll forgive you. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I was, uh, I obviously had my arm injury and I, I knew of new canoe, I had a few buddies that had them and I wanted a bow mount motor I and mean, I like to fly fish. So I like the open deck. They're, they're, they're good kayaks, man. All, all kidding aside, new canoe is a great product. Yeah. And you know, I, I got the 10 foot, the Hobie's just hard to beat too, though. Uh, but Mike, yeah. I know <laughs> Mike, kind of a funny story. Maybe, I don't know. He probably doesn't want to talk about it, but his kayak, man, he's had some rough, some rough way to go with his kayak here this year. It broke down on Del Hollow. It broke down. That's a, I don't know. Explain that again. Like the issues you've had with yours, Mike, it's not a Hobie. What is it again? I got a wilderness systems radar and, uh, I mean, to wilderness systems credit, I fish a lot, you know, it just has a lot of mileage on it. Um, I mean, I broke, uh, I broke my pedal drive at Dale Hollow. Um, up in Champlain was the worst breakdown I've had yet, mainly because of the wind. 
it was just incredibly windy there. Yeah, but on, uh, I think it was on Friday, one of my cables only had like one little hair left on one of my steering cables and I carry a spare set with me. And so I, I put the spare set on and it took about 30 minutes and I was good to go for Saturday and about an hour in the Saturday, the cable completely snapped in half and, oh um, it was windy. I mean, and, and Kurt can vouch for this. It was one of the windiest days I've ever been outside in my life. It was unreal. And without a steering, it was stuck sideways. And so every time I would pedal, it would turn to the left. And every time I would raise the rudder up, it would kind of serve as like a sail. So the wind would push against the rudder and it'd push the back of the boat God. sideways. And um, <laughs> it was the hardest day of fishing I've had in my life. Uh, I, I can't explain it. And I don't. Even, I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating either. It was. It was so 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 bad. And the only thing that kept me in it is I kept catching fish, and so I was getting rewarded for the effort. If I if I didn't have any fish by probably ten or eleven o'clock, I probably would have just went home. Um, it was that bad. I mean, I don't know how you did it, man. No rudder. Well, you know, to be honest, I, I'll toot my own horn. I guess if I wasn't an endurance athlete, if I didn't have an endurance background of just running and biking and stuff, I don't think I would have, would have been able to do it. I mean, that's just the truth. Um, it took so much to keep it straight. Um, anytime I traveled anywhere, I put half of a paddle in the water to offset the force of the rudder oh. turn sideways. And so uh, I averaged, I think, three quarters of a mile an hour just under one mile an hour the whole day is what I averaged. And I still went five or six miles and yeah, it was, it was so bad. And luckily on Sunday I found my old set. I was digging through the trash dumpster at the campground and I found my old set and I put the old set on and it made it through Sunday. And, uh, that was that. So I bought some new ones when I got home. <laughs> needless to say, That's rough. That is rough. I can vouch for you being a endurance athlete. I know, one event in particular, I won't say which, but we kind of, uh, launched from same boat ramp. You left me sitting. I got a motor on mine. I got a 55 pound thrust motor on mine. So you made me look like a, like a sitting duck. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Kurt, Kurt has a mountain bike background. I think I went to college on a mountain biking scholarship and, but that's kind of what sold me on the, the pedal drive that I have same motion as a bicycle. I was like, why not? Yeah. yeah. Keep it all the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys make me feel bad. I, the only thing I ever did was like play baseball and sit on the couch and eat chips. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, man, that's rough. I'd like to see you getting a new kayak soon, Mike. So hopefully, hopefully something works out for you. I know you like it. I mean, it works, you know, and it gets you on the water. It's not the kayaks. Probably. It's just like you and I talked, I think you'd put like, what was it? Three or 400 miles. Was it? Yeah, so the fish finder I have on there now is not the one I started with. I got a new fish finder maybe a year and a half after I bought the kayak. And the current fish finder I have, it has over 400 miles on it. And I, I don't know if that's a lot for, you know, compared to other people. I don't know if that's a lot or not, but I feel like for my boat in particular, I don't, yeah, it can't handle much more. You know, it's almost like when a car gets to, 300,000 miles or something, you know, yeah. that's all, that's all it has in it. Yeah, man. Yeah. I don't, I know I don't have near that much and I'm a lazy guy. As I just stated previously, that's why I went with the motor, <laughs> but, uh, paddling, pedaling, I, I'll probably get a pedal, pedal driven kayak eventually, but, 
I like being able to just sit back, even if I am slower than a lot of guys and just kind of sit back and uh, not, not work too hard. But. You know, but that's a testament, man. That's really a testament to Mike and just gutting it out. You know what I mean? So much of this sport, I think people don't realize it's just a matter of gutting it out. And when you come across adversity, just conditions that you can't control like Mike did, you can't control his rudder, his rudder cable breaking and all that stuff, even bringing an extra one. And he still gutted it out, got it done, you know, was catching fish. You know, that's a big testament to you, Mike, man. Seriously, dude, that's hardcore, man. Oh, yeah. I well, I appreciate it, and you know I I don't have the the checks in the background like you do, but I I will say that I think you got to have that to be successful at these bigger tournaments. Dude, you're gonna um, get them with that attitude that you got and gutting it out like that, dude. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I, I you know I you you gotta have that to to be successful at these big tournaments, especially you know I think it took both of us you know 13 hours or something to get there and. You know, you really got to – you got to – you look at some of these elite guys, they're going to find a way to get the job done no matter what the situation is. You know, you listen to so many elite, you know, Bassmaster Elite Series interviews and stuff, a lot of them don't have any fish until like 12 o'clock or something, but they're still out there, you know, making every cast like it's 6 a.m. or something. And that's such a valuable skill. And I, I feel like I didn't have that until recently. It's so easy to just get off the water and be warm or – or AC and drive home. It does, man. Like if you haven't caught fish for five hours, it's easy to lose, lose focus, lose perspective and just say, Hey man, I'm done when it can all change in the last hour. Absolutely. And you know, I'll tell all myself on the, uh, one of the events, Mike won this year, uh, he kicked my tail on Lake Cumberland this year and I got to get him back for that. (laughs) You know, I I fished, I, I hadn't logged a fish. I didn't log a fish the whole event. But I hadn't caught a fish up until about two hours until the event was over. And I said this before, I went to a little pink Ned rig and was catching dinks, nothing big enough to even log. But about the last hour, I was so tired of casting and casting and casting. And that's why I'm not on your guys' level yet, by no means. I love the fish. And I, I, you know, I fish a lot of local stuff. Plus, I was having a little bit of arm issues, you know, just not making excuses, but. I quit like the last hour, about an hour before the event was over. And I was like, man, I'm just tired. I'm done. And uh, I went to the boat ramp. And so I, once again, give props to Mike, you know, he grinded out. He's kicked tail in that event two years straight now. And, you know, I like to touch on his success. You know, he's, he's done, he's had some good finishes in the Hobie BOS. I know you, I don't even want to try to count how many top 10 finishes you've had, Kurt. Um, I, I know you've got a successful profile and successful career. Uh, obviously the checks in the background, man, makes me a little jealous. <laughs> but uh, you know, to, to talk about you, man, I know you're with Hobie, and you're also with what is my favorite swim jig, which is Picasso. Yeah, uh, Picasso lures. I've made posts about them previously uh, over the last year or so. When I started using them, man, they are phenomenal. I love them. Caught a lot of fish on them. Phenomenal thermal tackle, man. They just they make the oh, best man. stuff, man. Yeah. So big shout out to Picasso lures. They they make great stuff. Well, half of my fish at Champlain came on a Picasso spinnerbait. I love hearing that, man. I love hearing that. They are hard to beat for sure. That's what I was throwing on Cumberland during practice. When I was getting on all those spots, I was skipping a spinnerbait under the, the awfulest of structure. And I've had spinnerbaits that you got to jerk real hard to try to get them to work, try to get them to, to run. 
And these, I've never had to do that with them. So I, I've been using uh, those for a while. And that's what I was using on Cumberland. Like I said, pitching in the ugliest of stuff, catching those spots right on the bank, then come event time. Obviously, I just couldn't make it happen. But it uh, wasn't as windy, I, I don't think, from practice to uh, the event. And there's something about the spinner baits too, man. They got like a weird wobble to them and it just kicks everything into action so much quicker. And it, 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 there's really something different about the spinner baits. The one thing I've noticed about the Picasso spinner bait is like the blades just spin so much quicker. I have to fish them so slow uh, to not overfish it. If I fish another brand of spinner bait, it seems like I got to reel it faster to get that same you know, that same, uh, like action, like with the Picasso, if I switch to a Picasso spinnerbait, I'll notice how I'm just ripping it through the water and need to slow down and stuff. I, it's so obvious every time I use one of them, and I, I'm not sponsored by them or anything. It's just, they make a great, they make a great product. A lot of their stuff is just really, really well done. Oh, definitely. And that's one of the things they don't, they don't pick up a product just to make it. They only pick up products that they're like, we can make it better. You know, they're not just out making everything that they can make just to sell stuff. They're like looking at each individual thing when they pick something up and they're like, can we make this better? You know, and if they can't, they just don't make it. That's why you notice they don't make everything, but everything they do make it's there's something different about everything. And just like Mike was saying, man, you can slow roll those things so easy. You don't have to have like a an ounce, an ounce and a quarter one to slow roll it on the bottom with Picasso because of the blades on. Yeah. There's, they're, they're, they're the stuff. <laughs> yep. The favorite thing to do on a spring windy day is slow roll spinnerbait. But uh, yeah, Kurt, I know too, uh, one other thing I want to mention, don't want to not mention this. I think you're sitting fifth in the uh, Hobie Bass Open Series uh, AOI. So yep. congrats yep. to that. I know you don't like tooting your own horn. <laughs> Nobody really does, but I wanted to give you a shout out for that, dude. Congrats on that. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever set that high before in the AOI. I have last year, but it was for a really short period of time. Okay. You know, as the season's winding down and everyone's got their number, you know, there there are enough tournaments in to be placed in there. Yeah. It's you know, it, it feels more real. You know, I mean, it feels like it's more of an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate your point. Oh, no problem, man. Like I said, I know a lot of you guys don't like to toot your own horn. That's understandable. Uh, that's my job on here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, both you guys outstanding anglers and you guys have, have finished in several events very well. And, uh, obviously why I wanted to have you guys on talk fishing, you guys have a lot of knowledge and I look up to you guys, you know, you and Mike, cause I think uh, you guys have a lot to offer, have a lot to offer to the listeners. And there's a lot of people probably like me. It's never fished Lake Champlain. And we're going to get into that event in a moment. Uh, I was a little bit jealous because I wanted to fish that event so bad. I wanted to go to Susquehanna. I'm not going to be able to do that. I've never fished a Hobie event, but I wanted to this year. And then, like I said, I had some setbacks. But I've heard, well, I tell you what, before we get into that, I, I got to tell you guys a funny story because we get into that, there's no stopping. Um, <laughs> have you guys ever bass fished at night before? A little bit. Okay. I never really done it much. Um, I had about an hour and a half, two hours of daylight left. And by the time I got to the lake, I was going to, I wasn't going to be able to put my kayak in and fish very long. So I was like, I'm going to drive down and I'm going to fish this section of bank through Rocky. And I'm like, I'm going to try to get on some smallmouth. So I went down, fished about the last hour of daylight into about an hour, first hour of uh, dark. And I was throwing a popper. It was mixing up between a popper and a uh, four inch black wacky rig Cinco. And I was catching smallmouth like crazy. And it got real dark. 
and uh, I'm casting. I can't really see my popper. I went straight to a popper after it got real dark. I was casting my popper. One particular time I went to cast, I had a couple bass that had exploded on it as soon as it hit the water previously. So when this happened, I thought, oh, it's a tank. Casting, hear a huge eruption on the water. And I'm like, oh, and I feel tension. I set the hook. And, you know, we've all did this at some point in our lives. We've hooked a rock, hooked a log, hooked a stick. And we're like, oh, it's a big one. It's almost like you can feel it fight all the way to the bank or all the way to the boat. And this thing's pulling drag. I'm like, holy crap, this is a big fish. And <laughs> I fought this thing for like 20 seconds. And then I realized I'm like, this thing has wings. <laughs> Dude, I hooked a duck. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, that poor duck. <laughs> oh, dude, hooked, hooked it right in the foot. So as soon as I hit the water, I had to hit it. And when it took off or tried to fly or whatever, swim away, I set the hook on this thing and ran, ran the hook right in its foot. Uh-huh. And, uh, dude, uh-huh. I, I felt really bad because I was ripping this thing in like the first 20 seconds of this fight. And so I, I get it to the bank and I message my buddy. I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? This thing was like trying to bite me and everything else is flipping out and I couldn't get it to calm down. He was like, take your shirt off and just uh, throw it over its head and it'll calm down. I was like, okay. So I took my shirt off, threw it over its head and it calmed right down. I was able to reach down and actually the, the hook ended up not really being in the foot that bad at all. It wasn't even to the barb and I just pulled it right off with my hand and I went to grab my shirt and it flew off. And so my shirt went like 20 feet out in the water. So I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get my shirt back. The duck was fine, but I had a, a really weird moment there where I thought I had this giant bass and I ended up being a duck. So <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those guys. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be, you know. I haven't heard of anybody doing that, man. That's the first time I heard someone hooking a duck at night. <laughs> I'd never seen it. I never seen it. It was pitch dark. You know, it was overcast. Moon was out, but it was overcast. And I don't know, man. I just never seen it. Never heard it. It didn't make a quack sound while I was fighting it. Nothing. And uh, yeah, I felt awful. But but anyway, yeah. This year hurts. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced or caught anything weird, but uh, that was definitely my weirdest catch. No birds. <laughs> no birds. I've never done any birds before. No. Uh, never caught them. Well, you haven't lived because that was exciting for a short time <laughs> it was so heavy i was like oh my gosh eight pound but uh anyway so yeah uh we'll get back on to the uh lake champlain event i know you guys travel quite a bit you know mike mentioned you know it's a long drive um how, how long a drive was it up there again like 13 hours you said yeah it took me about 13 hours i didn't really run into any traffic or anything yeah i was i was like 14 from cincinnati jeez I, that's the thing too. I think a lot of people don't realize the sacrifice and the time that you guys put into a lot of these events. Uh, it's easy for somebody to look and say, man, I'd love to be doing that. I'd love to be that person. And you know, sure. But they don't realize the time you have away from your family, the the expenses, the travel, uh, wear and tear on your vehicle, wear and tear on your kayak. There's a lot of upkeep, a lot of studying that we'll get into, you know, like, you know, pre-fishing, studying, map study, all that stuff. It's not just a, hey, I'm going to go fish an event. You know, it's not not that easy. There's a lot to the prep, man. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, that you're right. A lot of people don't don't realize how much prep work goes into it, you know. You know, and I'm sure Michael can attest to this too. You know, I'm, I'm doing map study and internet research weeks ahead of these events. 
You know, when you're when you're going to drive 14 hours to someplace to go fish, man, I take it pretty serious. You know what I mean? I want to do as good as I can possibly do up there. Oh, yeah. And it's probably, um, you know, Mike, I know Mike fishes a lot of local events, too. Uh, it's probably not as there's probably not as much pressure fishing some of these smaller events where it's like 35 or 50 bucks to enter. Yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of money on the line. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think there's more pressure to local ones because you know, everybody, everybody knows <laughs> if you fish good or fish bad, you know, it's just embarrassing. You get back to the ramp <laughs> and a BLS, come back. At a BLS, you just come back. Nobody knows who you are. I didn't do good. I'm going home. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I never thought about that. You know, at least I could say, oh, all these people were pros. You know, if I fish to be a, a Hobie event, I'm like, oh, all these people are pros, man. I got last place. Well, you got to look at it. all of them are so good. I finished last in a uh, local event. I just kind of, kind of hide my face a little bit and <laughs> not go to Walmart for like three weeks, you know, so nobody, can <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I want to, I want to ask, have you guys ever reached, I don't want to say a breaking point. As I mentioned, I don't want to reiterate myself, but as I mentioned, I, I've, I don't fish the Hobie, the Hobie trail. I don't fish a lot of these national events. I don't feel like I have the experience to say, oh, I've got burnout, even though I've experienced it on these smaller trails. Um, have you guys experienced, I don't want to call it burnout or a, a breaking point or exhaustion, but like a burnout, for instance, because you can get burnout on anything if you do it long enough. But have you guys ever reached like a point at any time where maybe you've traveled so much, fished so, so much, fished hard and just studied and, and like, just been like, man, you know, contemplating your next move, like on a, on, on the tourney event or, or on a series or something like that. You know, some seasons run longer than others. You just feel like they run longer, you know. You just feel like it that it should be ending a little sooner than maybe it does, you know. But I haven't really been, like, burned out on, on fishing. I've gotten burned out on other stuff. But, man, I mean, it's, it's almost hard to explain. You know, I've got friends now that I only see through doing this stuff on the national level, you know, and they've become some of my best friends. So it's, it's like, I want to see those guys, even if I'm kind of burned out, man, I'm always looking forward to hanging out with my friends, you know, um, that I don't really get to see, you know, in Cincinnati because I've developed friends that live in Columbus, Georgia, New York and New England and just all over the country. So it's, yeah. No, I don't really get burned out on them, man. Sometimes I get a little frustrated. <laughs> um, my burnout, I, I'll get burned out, but it's like it comes in a different form. I don't get burned out of traveling, and I don't get burned out of fishing these tournaments. What usually happens is I just stop wanting to fish my local lake. Like It's like I don't want to go fish a difficult lake or a pressured lake. Like That's kind of where my burnout goes. Like I'll just stop fishing locally more than just fishing like period like usually what i'll do in the fall if i get burned out i'll just fish like every third week or something but i'll go to dale hollow or something you know like during the summertime i'll fish three or four days a week i'll go to local lakes i'll do this and that but i just really give up on my local lakes that's usually what gets happened when i get burned out like i just want to catch fish i don't want to go hunt for fish I just want to catch them. That's kind of what my burnout turns into. Before we get into this thing, I wanted to back up one more time. And I love hearing about how people got into fishing podcast is called the evolving angler and we're all evolving. We're all growing. And it's one thing that I always love hearing because everybody has a little bit different story. And I don't Mike, you've been on a podcast before. Can't remember if we talked about that, but, uh, 
would love to hear both of your guys' story on how you got into kayak fishing and then kind of transitioning into the the tourney scene, if that's all right. We'll start with you, Mike. Man, what what got you into saying, hey, man, I, I want to buy a kayak and get into kayak fishing? Um. <laughs> This is a good, this is a good question to ask. I got a, I got one of my best friends, one of my best friends ever in life. Um, you know, I was always into fishing, like, you know, bluegill and catfish, just pond fishing, whatever would bite. And my good friend, um, my name, his name is Jordan, my good friend. And he actually, such a good guy. He actually loaned me some of his rods and reels to use this season when he figured out I was going to run the whole series and be committed. And, uh, he, <laughs> He always wants me to talk about saying I caught him in an eddy. And because we just, that was just our joke when we were younger. It may not make any sense to you guys, but when he listens to this, that's he's going to just laugh so hard. I talked about catching him in an eddy. But we, uh, we bought the Rapala How to Fish Rapala Lures video. And I watched that video every day when we would hang out. We watched it every day. This is when we were 12, 13, 14. And we just became bass fanatics. We went and bought a cheap bait caster reel, just like a combo. And back then, you know, these combos were like 30 bucks or 40 bucks, real cheap. And and we bass fished and we fished in people's ponds and just loved it. And then all of a sudden he just got this kayak one day and I already had one. And we're like, oh, we can fish from these. And, and uh, it just, you know, it just evolved from there. It just, I, you know, we kind of went our separate ways as far as fishing goes. Um, and I, I just became real competitive with it. And I always wanted to fish bass tournaments. I always watched bass masters on Saturday mornings when it was on ESPN, like the one hour show. Um, but you know, you can't afford an expensive bass boat like that when you're younger. And now that I can go and spend a couple thousand and get a real competitive kayak, yeah, you know, say no more, you know, you know, make, make me a pro fisherman. So that's kind of how I got into it. And, uh, you know, here I am now being semi-successful, nowhere near the level of some other people, but I'm, I'm pretty proud of where I am now. That's for sure. You're on the way, brother. You're on the way. Kayaks have evolved so much in the last few years. Um, it's, it seems like when, when I got into it, they had already started evolving pretty well, but I remember shoot 10, 12 years ago, you didn't hardly see anybody with a kayak fishing. And it was just something you didn't see. And now every weekend, it's nothing to go down the road and see four or five, six kayaks in, you know, in vehicles, somebody going to the Creek, going to the river, going to the lake. It's just amazing how this sport has evolved. And I think we are just so close to seeing something really break out with a super large trail. You know, I mean, I know we've got, it's happening, it's happening, you know, but it's just taking, it's just taking a little while, but that's, you know, that's all right though. No, I'd, I'd rather go a little slower and we kind of keep what we got than, than morph into something that we're not, you know, because, you know, the local, like the local trails, man, look how much fun you have at the local trails. man. I'd hate to see like, stuff like that disappear. Right, you know? right. Because it kind of seems like when I talk to motorboat guys, man, they just don't seem to have as much fun. Yeah. You know, they really just don't, man. You know, and, and when I go to like fishing shows and I work these fishing shows, Every person I talk to, or nine out of ten of the people I end up talking to, have sold their motorboat and they want to get in the kayaking because it's it's you know like Mike said it's cheaper, it's more accessible. There's more places you can kayak fish than you can motorboat fish, and then they, and then they they maybe go to a tournament or something, and then they see that it's like a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's good people and it's a lot of fun. I have never 
been to an event and launched from a boat ramp where I got into it with somebody or had words with some, I'm sure it happens, but man, I've, I've fished in a, a handful of bass boat tournaments, uh, that I've had bad experiences in. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not knocking it by no means. I'm not saying that like every bass uh, boat tournaments awful or nothing like this. Don't, don't twist my words here. If you guys are listening, but, um, I, I'm just saying like the, the friendship, like I said earlier, the friendship and camaraderie that comes with kayak fishing. I have not experienced that with any other type type of fishing. Mm-hmm. You, you pass guys on the water and like, how you doing, man? You struggling, you know, uh, you know, think about doing this or, you know, stories like that. It's just, it's great to hear and, and you run into people you don't even know, man, just keep grinding. Just, you know, words of encouragement. It always happens. Every event I've been to, you know, if you pass somebody, you struggle, man, well, just keep grinding. You know, you see that so much in this and I, I love that so much, but, uh, Kurt, real quick, let's, uh, let's talk about your story, dude, man. How'd you get into, uh, kayak fishing? I mean, I got in, into fishing kind of late in life, really, you know, I fished as a kid a little bit. But, uh, you know, like Mike said, I have a mountain bike background. I got into mountain biking for years and owned a bike shop and owned some other businesses. And, you know, when you're a small business owner, you don't really do much but your business, you know. And uh, I moved to the east side of town and we moved to where there was a water district lake right by my house. The little Miami was right by my house. I went out. You know, I'm, I'm already 30 years old or older. I'm like, like 30, 35, 37 and I. Went out and bought a cheap rod and reel, you know, from Walmart and that had a little tackle box with it. And, and I just fell in love with it right away. And I had a buddy who was a cycling buddy who fished and I said something to him and it kind of rekindled his, his appreciation for fishing as well. And we started fishing together and then he bought a, a cheap kayak and then I bought one. And man, that just, the, the, the combining fishing and kayaking together for me just ignited something in me, man. I just didn't, I didn't want to really fish any other way. And I, I still fish from the bank a little bit, but man, I would so much rather be in my kayak fishing, whether it's a stream or a lake or whatever it is, you know, and, and honestly, it just, ever since that like $350 kayak, man, my passion for it's just blown up, man. You know, and when I started seeing that there was tournaments and I did a couple of tournaments and I was hooked on those then I saw that there was a national championship and I was like, well, I got to go to that. You know, I mean, it yeah. just, it, it, you know, it just all snowballed. And, I, and I've been incredible. I've, I've been very fortunate and I've had a lot of uh, luck and, and just, and just been very fortunate with it, man. And just the friends I've made, you know, I feel more fortunate about the friends I've made than any of the checks I have on the walls or any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, I would trade all that stuff for any of the people that I call my friends that now the trails and stuff. I mean, that's, you know, and, and I think that's some of the, some of the reason I don't burn out is because of those people, you know? Yeah. Well, I know me and Mike's talk too. He's had, he has guys, I think you got a buddy or two. You said you guys always try to encourage each other and shoot each other texts while you're fishing and just try to keep everybody focused. I think that's good that you got that kind of a, a click, you know, with, with some guys that just keep you motivated during a tough event. Oh yeah. I got, I got a group that, uh, most of them don't really do the national ones. They do a couple here and there, but. I know that when I'm on the water, I'm going to get a message when I submit a fish. I'm going to get a message when the day is done, whether it was good or bad. Yeah, like, and it's nice that it's other tournament fishermen because they get it. Like, they get it if you zero. They understand that, you know. A lot of outside people will see that you zero or catch one, and they're like, well, I thought you were good at this, you know. And so, 
you know, it, it's it's nice to have close group that are tournament fishermen that are also good friends. Sound like my wife, because I come home, I'm like, she's like, how'd you do? I'm like, oh, I did awful. Well, I thought you, I thought you were good at fishing. As much as you fish, that's, yeah. that's how you yeah. fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. I'm a bad dad. I tell my wife, and she's like, oh, 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 well. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just. Let's just write that off. <laughs> I just spent like a month preparing for this one event. Man. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, uh. <laughs> ah, no big. Yeah, uh, didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. But yeah, it's kind of funny. My wife gives me a hard time. She she supports me so much. I gotta give her a shout out too. I don't give her a shout out enough. Man, she would let me fish every event if I wanted oh, to. Awesome, uh, I don't, you know, because I mean, having a five year old, that's one thing. You know, I got a five year old and a 19 month old, and you guys know, man, listen, dad, being a dad oh, comes yeah. first, always will. Love my kids. My five year old is a monster, <laughs> loves to fish. Uh, he throws a bait caster and a spin reel. He caught his, he's caught two musky already on his own, and uh, he's, he's a beast. So I, I look, I look forward to seeing where he's going to be when he's my age because I didn't have that. My dad loved to fish. But it was a bobber and a night crawler and this and that. And man, he got me into it and I loved it. But uh, not to rabbit trail on that, but a little bit about my story. You know, I, that's kind of how I got involved. And I didn't get into really trying to get better until my early 20s. And even at that, I didn't know really what I was doing. I focused a lot on fly fishing and uh, actually smallmouth fished a lot in rivers with fly rod. And then, you know, when I got into kayak fishing, I had a buddy, Dewey. I haven't actually talked to him in a while. I hope he's doing all right, but I had a buddy, Dewey, Dewey Robinson, that kind of, walk me he he would talk to me for hours just how to how to log fish what to do got me into he's like man before you do anything just do a couple kbf monthlies you're not you know time restraint you know you go out there and if you drop a fish no big deal go out the next day try to catch another you know and uh, so he kind of helped me grow in that aspect and then i fished a little bit of mska and then kind of went to uh uh just fishing some kbf monthlies when i moved out to central kentucky and, uh, man, it, like I said, it'd been a couple of years since I'd really fished anything and, uh, being involved in a trail, a uh, local trail, like you said, man, they're so fun. You learn so much and you develop such great friendships, you know, and, and there's punks and everything and you got to just kind of ignore those guys. But man, I have yet to come across anybody that I would label a punk yeah, you know, yeah. in, in the kayak. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm, they're out there, no doubt. But yeah, anyway, uh, no one ramble, but. All right, it's Lake Champlain event. You guys drove up. Now, were you guys able to to uh, practice at all? Yep, I got I got uh, into town on Tuesday morning at like nine o'clock or something. Yeah, I got there. I got there on Monday. Did you guys have a pretty good feeling about it going into the like day one of the event? Was you pretty confident on what was working? Had you figured out a bite? Had you figured out some kind of process? Um. Well. The wind, I the wind is really why I did pretty decent here, to be honest. Because when it took away everybody's offshore bite, um, you know, my deal was my deal then became better. Um, but I basically started on the southern end of the lake, like the southern boundary, and I tried to hit two to three ramps a day, and I just worked my way up north. Um, on I can't remember. I think on Wednesday, maybe it was Wednesday or Thursday morning, I caught a good large mouth in some reeds and which was where I would expect it to be, but I didn't catch any other ones. And I was catching all these non-scorable smallmouth everywhere and a bunch of perch and stuff. And uh, I think Wednesday evening, I caught a really big smallmouth offshore on a rock pile. 
which is exactly where they should have been. I think it was even one on a rock pile next to mine. And But the waves were so dangerous. When I fished that rock pile in practice, that was the only calm day of the week from what I can really remember. Um, and so I caught that smallmouth. And then the next item in order was to find a backup plan at that ramp. Well, my backup plan was the big, giant, long stretch of reeds right next to that rock pile. And so I'm like, well, there's going to be largemouth in those reeds. The next day I go into those reeds, I catch three largemouth in a row. And basically, I just spent Friday kind of kind of fun fishing and just looking for some random winning spot. So when I went into Saturday, I was, I was very anxious because I knew I had something. Um, because then you're basically just wondering how high you're going to place if it works out for you. And so, yeah, I mean, that's basically what I had. I fished that reed stretch all day long, recycled it over and over again, both days. What about you, Kurt? Did you uh, have something figured out? Oh, I did. But just like Mike is saying that my offshore spot got blown out because of the wind. I I went there Tuesday. The first place I thought looked great on a map. I went straight there. And man, it was, it was awesome. And I had a great time catching smallies in practice, but man, it was just, it was like, it, you know, it was at this ramp that was by a river. I had a couple of things going on that I was going to check out all in the same day, but I really wanted to check out this offshore point that came way out. And there was all these rocks around it. I mean, it just looked perfect for smallies and the rocks wrapped way around and went up the other side of it. But it was so exposed to that southern wind, man. It was just brutal. So I couldn't go there and fish. Um, And when I realized that, man, I didn't have a place to go because everything I had checked out, I was so focused on smallies and doing the offshore thing that that the wind just wrecked everything. So I just had to go to a place blind that my buddy went. He said he caught some fish there. And I went there, and I was lucky to scratch out a limit both days there, you know. Yeah. It wasn't super impressive, but I was just happy that I got a limit both days. You know, I did – bummer was this day one is I figured out a little something where the bigger fish were, and they were hanging on these weed lines, and I had lost two really, really good fish. And, you know, in, in a tournament, when you have like a 14-inch fish and then and possibly lost a 19 or a 20, that's just such a big – that's like a big heartache you have, you know. Oh, yeah, um, being able to cool that much especially. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it would have been huge for me that day just because I was, you know, I had a couple small fish in my bag set up. So, you know, I was scrambling. I was scrambling for the tournament, man. I was, you know, but that's how it goes sometimes. You know what I mean? I was kind of ignoring the wind and what they were what they were forecasting. And I kept on saying, oh, the forecast is going to change. Forecast is going to change. But, you know, and the winner, man, he flipped his kayak twice. He was out on something. He was out in main lake rocks and he flipped his kayak twice. Yeah. See, I'd heard the wind was absolutely crazy. I think Mike had sent me a video when he got back, showing me how bad the waves were. I was like, holy crap. And, uh, I think I'd heard one or two people would flip kayaks up there. Like it was crazy. The wind and it was coming out of the South and that, and that lake is real long. You know what I mean? So it just, but you know, and where I wanted to fish was in the more northern part of the lake, and it just man, those waves would just build, build running up there. It was tough, man. It was tough. That that was probably the the windiest I've been out fishing. Yeah, man. See, that would make me nervous. I mean, I've got a stable kayak, you know, in a new canoe. It's ten footers, but you know, it's fairly stable for me. I'm a little guy, and uh, you know, it works well for me. But I've been on a few lakes here when it's been white capping, and it's been a little sketchy. 
but man, some of the stuff I heard about up there, I was like, man, I would have been booking it to a boat ramp or something. I don't know. Like I'd been near the shore for sure. Uh, I thought I had been in big waves until I fished that tournament. I thought the waves. I <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just was, you know, I went into uh, it, you know, I've been on cave run when it's gotten windy. I've been on Cumberland, you know, some of the bigger lakes where it's gotten windy and one I fished this year, I don't know where we were at. It was a Hobie tournament, but it was windy one day. Those waves up there were legitimately dangerous. And like, if you didn't know what you were doing, you had no business being out in in the deeper water. And even, you know, I spent, I kind of made sure that I was in water that I could stand in most of the day because I almost flipped over multiple times. Um, I made sure my, my life jacket was tight. I made sure it was working because yeah, it was, I, I almost expected to flip over a couple of times I tried to go offshore. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. It was scary, man. There's there's no doubt, man. I, you know, I still regret not trying it, but, you know, the, 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 every time that, and just hearing Mike talk about it and saying that it's legitimately dangerous, man, it's just, yeah. at some point you got to call it, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd heard from other guys, too, that it, it was crazy. So, you know, and you guys – have, you know, so much experience on the water and when guys like you are saying, Hey, it's pretty dangerous, you know, waves are pretty bad. You know, you need to kind of take heed to that and, and listen up, especially when you guys are saying stuff like that. Uh, and it goes to show just how crazy the conditions were. I don't know what, uh, as far as water clarity or anything like that, but the wind itself would definitely cause you to struggle. Uh, if you're constantly having to fight the wind, constantly having to keep from getting flipped over, plus trying to fish, trying to find fish and, uh, you know, juggle through your gear and, uh, if you're changing up rod and reels while all these waves are hitting you, yeah, I mean, it's just so much comes into play. It just, it could really, really overwhelm you. Um, but you know, to, to touch on your guys' finish, very solid finishes for both of you guys, you know, and this is a trail where there's a, a lot of darn good fishermen in it, but you guys made pretty big leaps, uh, day two. I think Mike, you went from 24th. Yeah, I think I went up like 10. Okay. 10 I'll say, I couldn't remember exactly. I know Kurt, I think you made a pretty big jump too. Uh, from day one to day two, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the key is with those with these two day events is being consistent. It's not about having the biggest bag; it's about having two days of good bags. I mean, yeah. that's the biggest thing here because you know there's so many people, and you see it over and over. They'll do ninety, like they'll do like ninety eight inches one day, and then they won't have the limit the next day. You know, yeah. Where you're better off doing you know eighty inches two days in a row. You know, it's, it's, it's so much about consistency. And I also really think it shows that the better, who the better anglers to yeah. versus yeah. someone who stumbles on to a school that's there one day that leaves, you know, but they're able to pull out 98 inches. Well, if you have, if you, you know, who can do it two days in a row, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's hard to look up two days straight and it happens, but, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm like you, it shows a lot of consistency and experience that some of these anglers have that can pull off two straight days of, of phenomenal bags. Um, now had either of you, uh, have experience on this lake before Had either of you fished it before you hadn't Kurt. No. Wow. Nope. See, that shows even more how much you guys grinded that out even more to, to finish like you did. And it's one of those things that I have studied. I have, uh, practiced and I've went into an event and absolutely bombed it. And then there's been times where I've had, and this is local stuff, obviously, but I've went into events, uh, never fished in the lake before and did well. And I'm sure you guys have experienced that too. But I think a lot of that comes with, uh, you see a lot of these guys that are able to, uh, show up to some of these lakes and do 
uh, fairly well like you guys did, finished real well like you guys did, I think it shows a lot of the experience you guys have as far as being, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of, oh, man. Versatile. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> too, too many drugs back in college. I can't really put a lot of words to that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yeah. Well, this all goes into preparation, man. I mean, that all goes under prepping for the event and trying to learn as much as you can about the lake and, and, and just being able to take that and apply it, your map study and the internet research you did and try to come up with a couple good areas pre-fish yeah. and figure it out, you know. Now, as far as pre-fishing and, and map study, I imagine there was a lot went into that. When did you guys start kind of prepping for this event? Probably right after the last one. No. Um, well, you can go ahead, Kurt. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I so I did a little bit this winter. Um, you know, there ain't much to do in the winter. So I, can, I would kind of just do like a basic like a basic study of each lake. You know, I will just glance at Navionics, watch a couple YouTube videos just to get my mind going. Um, but for Champlain, for all of them, but since we're talking about Champlain, I probably started like a month out or three weeks out. And I honestly, I like, I don't have kids and stuff. You know, I got, I got a lot of spare time, especially in the summer. I really made it so that I know every single thing about that lake, except what's growing out of the, the bottom of it. Um, because, you know, there's, you can't look under the water on the computer, you know, but I knew what was at each ramp. And I, I, I want to know everything about the lake before I get there. And if that takes a week, that's fine. If it takes a month and that's what it is, you know, like I feel like Lake Hartwell, there wasn't much to study on Lake Hartwell because it was just so straightforward. You know, I, I, I me personally, I, I didn't find a lot there. You know, it just looked like a lot of the same, but Champlain, you got the lower portion, the upper portion. I mean, I spent, I stayed after school. Um, for an hour or two almost every day on google earth just because the internet was faster i could zoom in and out real quick and yeah i mean just i i am not a professional by any means but the amount of map study you have to do for to do good in these tournaments it is just so 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 much yeah kurt how was your uh what was your process of pre-fishing like very i mean you know map Leading up to the event was a lot like Mike's, you know what I mean? I would look at it throughout the year. I'd get kind of pumped up thinking about Champlain. I would watch some videos, read some fishing reports, and do some map study. Basically the same way. And then about a month before it, I got real heavy into it, you know. And I was, you know, I try to pick out like three or four giant areas that are, that will take a day or two to break down, you know, on, on different parts on the lake, you know. But Champlain was tough because – like Mike was saying, man, it's it's a really diverse lake from the north to the south end of it. I mean, it's like two hours to drive it. So it's super diverse. The south end of the lake was a lot muddier than the north end of the lake. North end of the lake was crystal clear water. And I didn't find hardly any smallmouth except for back in the uh, in these bays by reeds, like Mike was saying, uh, for smallmouth, I found tons of largemouth or ton, tons of smallmouth, though. And I never even made it to the south end of the lake because I was just so focused on the small eats. I was just like, and, and there's so much fun to chase. <laughs> I just can't yeah. lie, man. Just getting down on, on a on a world class fishery and chasing smallmouth bass. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong doing that. 
the lake was just so big on both turns. So our campsite was kind of close to Ticonderoga, like kind of in the middle. And I mean, on Saturday and Sunday, I woke up at 2.15 each day to make it to the ramp on time because it was just so far. I mean, we were filling up our gas tanks every three days because it was so far to get to these ramps you wanted to go to. Yeah, and our and our lines in time. What was it, five o'clock or something? Yeah, it. Yeah, even yeah, our launch time was earlier than it normally is. So it just all compounded. I I slept like seven hours total until <laughs> Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, I fished uh, an event one time. I got off work. It was the I'll never fish it again because I had the worst experience ever because I'm so out of shape, but. I fished a, it was in Ohio. It was the AEP recreational land event. I think the MSK had up there. I went up and, you know, you got to drag your kayak to these different ponds. I don't know, Kurt, if you know, if you've ever been up there or fished it. I have, I have not. A bunch of my friends go up there though. I hated it. My, the guy, <laughs> listen, I, I paired up with a guy and he's ex-military, I think. And he was in shape still. And, you know, I, I'm a little guy, but I do listen. I love my potato chips and I was, uh, <laughs> I was dragging my kayak and I'm like, I broke two rods that day just for my oh. kayak falling over. Cause you gotta, you gotta drag them through the off list of stuff to pond, the pond, the yeah, pond, it's, it's, you know, it's pond fishing is what it is. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, I think after about the third or fourth pond, I was like, dude, you go on. It's like, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, you know, just chill out and catch my breath but man i was so impressed by him because he would just drag his kayak through like the awfulest of stuff and never stopping i'm like i need to really start running again but <laughs> i'm telling you i fished that event i got off work drove like five or six hours up was able to sleep an hour and a half i hadn't even got my gear together i i threw it all in the vehicle it was like kind of like a last meal mint decision uh signed up for the tournament i uh, got off work drove up camped out you know, I slept in my vehicle for about an hour and a half. Then, uh, me and that guy got up and we headed to the pond. We were going to fish and man, I was so busted running like an hour and a half of sleep and then hiking all that, dragging my kayak from pond to pond to pond. I was like, I am never fishing this. I don't care if I'm guaranteed to win. <laughs> nope. I will not because that was rough and I had wheels and it, but it was so bad and muddy in places. You couldn't even you know, pull your yeah, kayak. It's better not to use wheels up there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took my wheels off cause my kayak would fall over. Bam. There goes a rod tip. <clears> and then I'd be willing it somewhere else, trying to wheel it through this thicket and this muck. And then my, it would fall over and there goes another rod tip. And you couldn't really hold onto your rods and drag through mountainside. Like it was crazy rough, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's not fun going on not much sleep and trying to fish all day. And, but, uh, um, you guys, as far as event now, did you get on fish pretty early? There was like a small window where I was, there was a small window in the morning where the bite was happening, but it, 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 it I mean, it went really quick. I mean, it was like from five to six and then it slowed okay. way down and you had to just like pick them off one by one. Was it kind of the same where you were at Mike? Um, honestly, I just kind of went fish by fish all day long. Um, the only the only thing consistent was what they were eating and where they were at. The time was never consistent. I'd catch one, then I'd catch two, then I'd catch, you know, one here. It was really just a matter of just keep casting, keep casting, and you just never knew which cast the fish would be on. Yeah. Um, there was no consistency with the time at all. Yeah. What were the tips like up there? Because I know down here they were they're around eighty degrees right now or more. 
cold, cold. I found 61 degree water. I found smallmouth on beds uh, pre-fishing. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, in I mean, right end of June, basically. I mean, it's just crazy. That is awesome. That shows what a difference there is too. Uh, just from here to there. I'm not bed fishing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're way past it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, that'd been a little bit cold falling in too. Yeah. You didn't want to jump in, man. Just loading, unloading my kayak and standing in ankle deep water was cold enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, you know, both of you guys are phenomenal anglers. Yeah. You guys finished well. I know you guys wanted to, were hoping to go full beast mode and bring home a check and, or win that event. But, you know, like you said, it was a grind and you guys did finish well. So I want to give both a shout out again, doing what you came to do. And that was get a full bag both days, finish strong. And are you both of you all fishing Susquehanna? I am. I'm not. So my off season, I coach a high school sports team in the fall. Um, It gives me a little extra money to pay for, you know, fishing and stuff, but it's also something I like to do. So my off season has always been August, September and October. And then I'll fish through the winter and, you know, start tournaments whenever they start. So unless I qualify for tournament of champions, um, I'm kind of kind of off except for local stuff until November. Okay. Well, Kurt, I'm jealous once again, cause I was hoping to fish that event. Uh, I'll be at the beach though. So <laughs> I, I guess I can't be, can't be too jealous. That's not too bad. Be, <laughs> no, it could be a lot worse, <laughs> but, uh, Kurt, I appreciate you, man. So glad you took time to hang out with me and talk fishing. Mike, same. And I wish you the best in the future and really look forward to seeing where you guys are sitting into the year. Uh, no, Mike, you're, you're hoping to make it into that tournament of champions. Good luck on that. And, uh, Kurt, uh, I'm sure you probably already qualified. Have you qualified? Yeah, I got, I, I qualified already. Well, appreciate you guys. And, uh, once again, can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Might have to get you guys on again, to talk some more fishing. Great, man. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yep. And for those of you listening, remember, love your neighbor and go catch some fish.